Hey everyone, my name is Erin Hughes and this is Episodes to a Healthy You. In this episode, we're diving into the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion, specifically on the intersectionality of DEI and wellness. For this episode, we have a special guest host, Jenny Pitcher. Jenny is a registered dietitian and certified health and wellness coach for Ohio Health. And you might recognize her voice as she's been a guest on previous episodes of our podcast. For this conversation, Jenny is joined by Kiana Williams, Vice President of Human Resource Operations and Total Rewards at Ohio Health. The two of them discuss how the understanding and practice of diversity, equity, and inclusion embraces belonging and authenticity and requires that all of us start by learning. Well, hello, Kiana. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. So welcome. And I guess we'll just jump right in. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. So can you explain for our listeners how you see diversity, equity, and inclusion and wellness intersecting and what effect that can have on the overall health and well-being of an individual? I think that, you know, a lot of times people think that they are kind of like these disparate entities, but I really do see a lot of synergies between both. We really encourage people when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, to get into a place where they're comfortable bringing their whole self to a space, whatever that space is. And if you don't feel like you can do that, right, that's when it really has some detrimental impacts from a wellness standpoint. When you feel like you can bring your whole self to work, you're on those higher levels of mood states. You're able to operate in a more productive way. You're not feeling the shackles or the burden of trying to be something that you're not. And so that's really where I see the biggest linkages, right? Is this idea of just that I shape shift or adjust myself to an environment. And if I have to do that, does that impact the work that I'm doing? Does it impact my mood states? All of those types of things. So that's how I see the linkage. That's such a great explanation. And I love this idea of bringing your whole self, right? And how much of the time people feel like they can't, like they have to, like you're saying, shape shift. So yeah, I can see how that could really affect your well-being. I feel like people are finally listening and understanding how the work being done in this area is making an impact on the health and well-being of everyone, not just marginalized groups, right? But as we know historically, of course, that hasn't been the case, and we still have a long way to go, for sure. Can you share, and maybe you just did, but can you share what you feel would be the top two to three areas of the wellness and health space that were negatively impacted as a result of diversity, equity, and inclusion not being embraced as fully as it is now? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I definitely think it ties to what we talked about a little bit earlier, right? It's this idea of what is that belonging quotient in your organization? Meaning when you look across your organization, does everyone feel like they belong? Just do 75% of the people, you know, what percentage of people feel they belong? And then when you start to dissect that and look at groups within your organization, are there themes there? So 
do men feel like they belong, but women don't? Do people of color feel like they belong, but white people don't, right? Like as you just continue to unpack it, really being able to assess what that level of belonging is. So I would say that's probably the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say is what are those systems, practices, policies that exist in your organization that may or may not assist with people feeling like they belong in the organization, right? Or that they can bring their whole selves to work. Because a lot of times what we're seeing is that everyone is well-intentioned, but when you start to unpack what goes on in the organization, there are processes or practices that have just become inherent to the organization that actually undermine the organization's ability to move the needle from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint. You know, you think about how are people promoted? So are we an organization where the way people get promoted is based on relationship? And when we look at who has relationships is people who look like everybody in the C-suite right? Mm-hmm. And so the, in, so the intention there is good, right? But the practice may leave people out. Right. So when we look at those types of things, that also has a detrimental effect because if I'm constantly working my butt off and, you know, I'm trying to get that promotion and I see I keep getting passed over and I keep getting passed over. And when I see who is getting promoted and I see, oh, well, they don't look like me, they don't work like me, they don't think like me, then that starts to erode my sense of confidence, my willingness to bring my whole self to work, and my willingness to contribute far and beyond what I might normally contribute. That's a really good point. I mean, it's frustrating, right, to think Mm -hmm. that you're bringing your whole self to work, but yet you feel like you're not being seen, maybe. I can see how that could be tough to come to work and feel that way day in and day out. Yeah. Um, Can you maybe give us an example of something at a policy at Ohio Health specifically that that you've put in place to help offset that? Yeah, well, you know, if I continue the example that we used of how promotion works, right? So we're a very relationship-oriented organization. And one of the things that we realized was that the way people were being sponsored was in a very informal way. And what that led to was people sponsoring people who not just look like them, but who they saw in themselves. It goes far beyond race and gender, right? It's do we graduate from a similar school or, you know, do we grow up in the same area? Like those types of things. And so what we said is, well, let's actually have a formal process for how we sponsor people so that we can ensure that people who might not traditionally get sponsored are actually having access to our senior leaders in a way that has meaning. Like really taking that to a more formalized place so that we could build a muscle within our leaders of thinking beyond, again, folks who they might gravitate towards for you know a, a lot of commonalities But then also our sense of sponsorship is that it's not just about what the protege receives. We also help people understand sponsorship is really also about what the sponsor receives out of this. So they're getting access to a broader network of talent, which means that they're getting more innovative ideas. 
They're seen as champions of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and on and on and on. So I would say that's probably one of the major things that we did to really see this idea. I love diversity of ideas. You're right. You know, you get different points of view and certainly that just opens up a whole other world for how you do your work. Yeah. It's great. It's not just people from marginalized backgrounds or our traditional diverse groups who benefit. Everybody benefits when we think about diversity and inclusion from a larger lens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So Kiana, why do you think the intersection of these two worlds is not talked about as much as say how diversity, equity, and inclusion impacts the innovation or overall performance of an organization. What do you think that's about? I think that part of it is, is that, you know, we still look at DE&I from a very narrow lens. People who do the work, right, practitioners of the work are constantly having to remind people that the benefits go far beyond what we have historically thought, right? So to your point, it's the right thing to do or, you know, it breeds innovation, those types of things, but it really does have an impact on everything that we think of from a business standpoint. So well-being obviously being, you know, one of the biggest things because that not only impacts our individual associates, but it impacts the well-being of the organization as well. And so I think as we continue to have conversations like this, as people see articles that talk about the far-reaching impact of DEI, I think we'll start to hear that more in the conversations. But I think that right now it really is that narrow lens that people are applying. Yeah. And maybe they even think, oh, you know, I don't need to worry about that because we have a great diversity program. So I don't really need to unpack it or peel away some layers of that to really understand it because that's already being taken care of. I think that's such a a great point because I do think a lot of times people do rely on what they think is happening versus, to your point, extending that learning to other areas. So absolutely. Yeah. Being curious. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So if you had a magic wand that you could (laughs) wave around and create one change about how society looks at diversity, equity, and inclusion, what would that be? Wow. That's such a a big question. So one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is just really the intersections, right, of D&I. So a lot of times we think about gender or we think about sexual orientation, right? But we don't think about gender and sexual orientation together, right? Or we don't think about race and gender together. And so really being able to think about how those intersections impact diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what potentially that impact is also from a well-being standpoint as well, right? So, you know, really being able to look at data in a more thoughtful way and then leveraging that data across those intersections, I think would really move us along the journey. Oh, I love that. I have to say, Kiana, that it wasn't until maybe the last year that I started really understanding intersectionality mm-hmm. and, and how that impacts everything. You know, yeah. I just hadn't really thought about that before. And one of the things that I've really leaned into in the last year is just learning. COVID especially has been this time where I feel like it's opened up a lot of time for people to learn more. And so if someone is listening to this interview and hadn't really ever thought about the impact 
that diversity, equity, and inclusion has on their own well-being or the well-being of others, is there a step that they could take to learn more about this and how it is impacting their well-being? Yeah, absolutely. So so one of the things I point people to often is Harvard Business Review has really over the last year done some amazing writing on the topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, and a variety of intersections. So, you know, I would definitely suggest people start there. And in general, I'm a big reader. There's a ton of books out there that have really been really kind of going deep in that. And so I think about that lens from two places. So I'm a big fiction reader. So I, I do have a couple of recommendations from a fiction standpoint that I think would help people who might not want to go into the science. I just got done reading this great book called Heads of the Colored People. Super good. And then there's another book that I just read, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. So those are fiction books from the standpoint of nonfiction books. There's one book that I just love, Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall, which is a great, great book. Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. Both of those books really talk about the intersection of gender and race, but zoom out as well. So I think those are really good books for people who just want to get started. Oh, I love it. I love resources. I think it's so helpful to be able to listen to something and then just go delve into it even further. Have you read My Grandmother's Hands? I'm so enamored with that book. So I haven't, but there's a woman who I've done a couple podcasts with, and she was telling me about the book, but I have not picked it up yet. Oh, wow. Okay. I started reading it and it's one of those things where you have to, because it has a lot of practices in it, like because it talks about how this work lands in our bodies. And so got to kind of do it and experience it. And to me, you have to take a while to actually get through it. So it's something that I have loved over this last year. You need to get it. Yeah, I'm definitely (laughs) going to have to. I love that you have recommended fiction and nonfiction. I think that's so helpful because you can glean so much from fiction for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of times people just go immediately to the nonfiction, but to your point there, the right fiction book can really open your eyes to experiences in a different way. For sure. I think with story, we can learn things in a different way. I have one last question for you. Is there something today that you want our listeners to think about or anything else you feel like we didn't cover that you want to make sure that people understand or realize in this space of diversity, equity, and inclusion and wellness and how they connect? Yeah. So two things come to mind for me. You know, I think it's really important to think about where you are as an individual, right? Where you are on this journey, where you are from a well-being standpoint, where you are from a DE&I standpoint, because the only way if you're really committed to advancing on the journey, right, is to start that internal work yourself. And so you have to get really clear about what baggage you might bring to the conversation, what beliefs you might bring to the conversation, all of those types of things, and what emotions those things bring up in you, right? Like, what is the root of all of those things? I think that that's really important for folks, because I think a lot of times people want to jump right into the work, and they haven't done their own work. So I would say, 
that's probably first and foremost. And then the second thing I would say is just really assessing what have you done, right? And when I say, what have you done? What have you done beyond the learning? Because Jenny, I agree with you. Everybody has to start with the learning, but then how are you turning that learning into something tangible? So if you read a good book and you learn something about a group of people or you listen to a podcast like this one and you learn something, how are you putting that to work, right? What is the tangible benefit that someone gets as a result of the learning that you have just acquired? I think those two are the biggest things that I think people could do to really ensure that we're all moving in the right direction with respect to this work. I love that. And you know what? I'm not telling you something you don't already know here, but it is not easy. And I I guess I just want to say to everyone who's listening, it's okay that it's not easy. This is really hard. And if you think about if we're all individually working hard, then think about how much that's going to help us just as a society, because we have a lot of hard work in front of us. You're right. It's not easy. And things that are worthwhile usually aren't easy, right? Like they usually are hard, (laughs) right? So to your point, I think it's so important that people give themselves grace in this work because you're going to mess up. I mess up. I'm still learning. You know, I've been doing this work for a ton of time, but I'm still learning. You know, I still have to extend grace to myself. And so just appreciating that you're going to have to do that, but stay in the work. That's the thing, like stay in it. Yeah, because it'll get hard and you'll want to run from it, just like anything you're trying to change and learn about and grow from. You just got to stay with it. Exactly. It reminds me when I was preparing for my first half marathon. And to your point, probably on that third training session, I was like, I clearly don't (laughs) love myself. Why have I decided to do this to myself? (laughs) But once I actually did the race and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to do another one. So yeah. Wow. Kiana, that's great. I can't say that I've ever run a marathon or trained for one. So I have deep respect for sure. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. I know you're super busy. I'm just so excited that we got to spend some time together and talk through this really important subject. So thank you so much. Well, thank you again for having me. This was wonderful. What a powerful discussion. Diversity, equity, and inclusion goes far beyond equal opportunity and feeling included. It's realizing that sometimes our intentions as an individual or as an organization aren't always executed in an inclusive way. Acknowledging that there is always room to learn and change is how we will promote growth and possibility for everyone. Hey everyone, it's time for our listener question. If you're new to the podcast, at the end of every episode, we answer a question from one of our listeners. So if you have a question for Jack or I and want to hear it featured on a future episode, be sure to do the survey after listening. So today's question is, what is your favorite book? So Jack, what do you have for us? What do you like to read? What's your favorite? This is a tough one. I had to think about this question for a while. My favorite author is Gillian Flynn. So she wrote Gone Girl and some other books. So that's kind of a dark mystery. But I love Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I think that one's really, really good. But 
I would go with The Martian. I don't know who the author is of that, but the way it's told, it's told like a diary. So you can see each chapter is a different day in his life. If you guys haven't read the book, it's about a guy who gets stuck on the planet Mars and he has to figure out a way to get off the planet. And I don't want to spoil the book, but it is really good. And the way he keeps his composure, even though he's on a planet by himself, is amazing. And yeah, I would go with The Martian. I have not read The Martian as the book, but I have seen the movie. And I feel like the way you're explaining how the book was written, they portrayed it that way in the movie. And it is excellent. So now I honestly didn't even know it was a book, but now I want to read it. For me, uh, my favorite book, I'm not somebody who enjoys reading a lot, but when I do read books, I enjoy self-help or books that involve social research. So my favorite book that I've read so far has been For Women Only, and it actually has a sister book called For Men Only, and my husband and I read it together a few years ago. But basically, it is on social research, and it involves a lot of relationship truths and how to understand what each person wants in a relationship, what communication means to me as a woman, what respect means to my husband as a man. And I thought that book was just really eye-opening, and it was really nice to view a relationship from a man's perspective and really help me figure out what I could do to make sure that I was showing the love that I knew that my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, would receive. Yeah, it's so refreshing. Like, we get a lot of information from social media or the internet where you see the information. You're not sure if it's true or not. The grammar is not the best. So it is refreshing to see, like, a published author and read, like, a perfectly well-written book. So something I don't do enough of. I, I know. I don't do enough of it either. My husband is an avid reader, and I just, I think school turned me off from it a little bit, and I might not have found the books that I like to read, the genres that I like yet, so... I'll have to do some digging on it. Maybe that can be another goal that I work on this year. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that was our listener question for today. Thanks for joining us, and we hope that you come back for our next episode. Until then, stay healthy.